Well, it's January 6th, the end of the week, and this week at thisiscommonsense.org, Paul Jacob wrote five pieces, like normal. Concealed carry of the careful criminal on Monday. Making symbolism count on Tuesday. What is and is not sinister on Wednesday. Thursday was the California-Canada connection. And Friday, ending the week with the wrong kind of speech. Well, this is Friday. It's January 6th, the celebration. The two-year celebration of the mostly peaceful protests on January 6th, 2021. And we are going to exemplify the right kind of speech. We, being me, Timothy Fairclough, I'm helping Paul Jacob, who runs Common Sense with Paul Jacob at thisiscommonsense.org. Today is January 6th, the second anniversary of the most peaceful protest that upset so many people. You know, I uh, I even saw a little snippet of uh, uh, President Biden uh, today, and he actually, he had a kind of a funny joke because he mangled somebody's name and and he said to the uh, policeman, he brought out the policeman who had been uh, there and injured and so on at uh, January 6th. 2021 and uh and he mangled the guy's name where he started to say and the guy kind of shouted out his name just to make it clear and and he kind of laughed at that he said you know you can call me president bidden or something uh so it was uh, it was kind of cute and and showed mental dexterity which i found incredibly reassuring because i have my doubts as to you know the the mental dexterity and you know we have a, a lot of leaders who are in their 80s and and 70s and 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 of course i'm i'm going to be in my 70s hopefully someday and maybe even my 80s i'm hoping that i'm you know spry uh and i've known people at that age who i consider to be mentally very sharp uh although probably not as sharp as they were 20 or 30 years or 40 years before that. But anyway, um, I, I worry about our president. Uh, it's a dangerous world out there. <laughs> He's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> you know, there was, uh, I thought, some interesting stuff this this uh, week. And, and I wanted to talk about one script in particular, the wrong kind of speech which is it's Friday and it was Friday, January 6th uh, piece. Um, but it, we had something else interesting. And that is that uh, um, we had a script on, I guess it was Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? Tuesday? Tuesday, I think it was. What is and is not sinister. And it was about COVID in, in China and the fact that uh, you know, we saw the protests and it was kind of shocking that the protests were able to, you know, although they looked to be pretty widespread protests and so on. And of course, the policy itself was so completely ridiculous, even though big parts of it have been instituted in the United States of America. Uh, but um, but in the comments of that uh, commentary, they mentioned the fact that, hey, in California, doctors can't say what they want to say about diseases and medicine, and there, there's no free speech. 
And I, I didn't notice it until after we had already run. I mean, I, I, I wish I could say, hey, we're so responsive that when you said that we were ready with a script the next day, but I think it was just a coincidence. But it also shows that the folks going to thisiscommonsense.org and reading the commentaries are not just uh, your, your uh, regular yokel. Uh, they are uh, smart people who are watching what's happening in this world. And, you know, damn it, it's scary. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what's happening in China, which is a massive surveillance state, police state, totalitarian society, running a couple of genocides simultaneously. You know, we, we forever, our defense strategy has been to fight a two-front war. And uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's not easy to do, but but they China can do two front genocides. You know they can get Falun Gong uh, while they're doing the the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. So uh, anyway, it's scary the power that that government has. And what's scarier to an American, perhaps, but it's a small world. It seems to all be bleeding together. Our government wants that same power. Uh, I read a piece in the Washington Post, I think it was today, maybe it was yesterday, but it was about the people being arrested who were part of those protests. And they're arresting lots of people and kind of doing things that, at least in the United States of America, if they were found out, would be grounds for a massive lawsuit and a, a huge penalty. You know, strip searching people and abusing people and all kinds of things. We haven't heard of, you know, anyone being beaten to death. We don't know that they're using a tiger chair. You don't know what a tiger chair is. They're, they use it a lot in police stations in China. It's a, it's a chair where you're strapped in and you basically cannot move. Uh, and it's hard to defend yourself in that kind of situation. So there have been many bad things that have been uh, talked about after they locked folks into a tiger chair. And anyway, it, it, it was interesting that they they kind of looked ahead to the California-Canada connection. And the connection is this, that we've heard for years about the crazy anti-free speech things going on in Canada. Um, all in the name of goodness and light, but just stupid, stupid. No matter how good your intentions are, if you're that stupid, you're dangerous because you're going to destroy freedom. And then how do we protect ourselves from the bad guys? I mean, it's kind of like the the uh, you know the, the the BLM protests, and we've got to take you know we've got to take you know uh, the police and defund them and get rid of them. We can't trust them after just years and continuing to this day. It's not like they stopped of suggesting that the police should be the only people who have guns in society. There's a lot of insanity out there, but in California, there is a law. It's being challenged. Thank goodness. Uh, but there is a law that is is saying to doctors, you can't say anything against the scientific consensus. We're back to Galileo and stuff. This is this is just, uh, you know, it, and and what's even more amazing is that a lot of smart people haven't picked up on it. Like it's somehow going to cut their way that we don't have any free speech anymore. I just don't I don't understand how people see it that way. And in Canada. It's, you know, even sillier in this sense, and that is that they're suggesting that uh, Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson, because 
he has argued for some positions politically uh, through social media, ought to be uh, forced to go through a social media training, sort of like the training, maybe not in reality, let's hope and pray, but it's euphemistic of the training that they're giving Uyghurs in Xinjiang. And I say they, increasingly they, you know who they is? It's the, it's the deep state who we don't know who the heck they are running our government and trying to get away with violating every constitutional principle, every one of the Bill of Rights, except for, you know, quartering soldiers in our homes. And of course, I'm sure they're gobbling up all of our information online, so they probably don't even need to put someone in our homes. But uh, this, this uh, situation we find ourselves in is universal. It is all over the world. It is a serious dilemma. I mean, how we, when I just think of the future and the amount, like I was telling you, I, I was driving, had a rental car. It's 11 p.m. on a weeknight. I'm driving through Ohio. I changed lanes. I admit it. I didn't, I didn't put my uh, blinker on. Well, I did. Uh, I, I changed lanes. I just kind of fought through it, but I had to fight through my rental car because it was, and this is a safety thing. A lot of people want it. They get it. They pay extra for it uh, or you're charged whether you like it or not. And, and I'm not against the technology itself. But I am against a society in which people have no real world functional control of the technology that is controlling their lives. And it, I'm just scared to death of the, of the future in terms of that, that reality. And unless we can find new Bill of Rights and new you know, human rights standards that stop some of what's going on, we're in trouble. And we're not just in trouble because Xi Jinping is a genocidal thug. We're in trouble because all over the world, Americans, Australians, Chinese, Japanese, Germans, Brazilians, the people all want more control and democracy and choice in their own lives. They're paying, we're paying all the bills. It's not like the government comes up with all this money and just showers it on us. They don't have any money. We're paying all the bills and we're entitled. This is the one damn thing we're entitled to. And that is choice and democratic votes and, and political levels, levers of control of the process, but also pushback so that there are certain things they can't do without coming to the people. Um, and, and so it, it's, well, I, 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 I've, uh, I've run out as, as far as I can on that, on that limb, but it's not much of a limb. We got to have some, we got to have better control or it's just hard to see any way we're not in a technological slave state and not just in China, but all over the world. Well, it's getting worse now because, I mean, our real enemy, the ones, the ones that are really diminishing most of our freedoms and most of our control is our government. But it's not ours because it's the deep state. It has really nothing to do with democracy or, I mean, it's, 
once you allow the CIA and the FBI to do all those things that they do, they become powerful forces. They almost they can't really be controlled yes. by normal means. Uh, several of those agencies has to be destroyed and a number have to be put back. I mean, I think immediately all weapons should be taken away from all FBI members. Just everyone. You just have to take them away. That's the first thing you do the first day somebody goes into the presidency. And then you start, uh, then you start dismantling the, uh, these organizations. Uh, but right now they have a lot of power and they're, let's be frank, they're, they're the deep state, they're the interstate, they're the state interest, they're the people who have advantages, and they are also Democrats. I have to think about that last thing you said there. Um, they are largely, they seem to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they scare politicians the way we wish we scared politicians. I mean, think of... Uh, Think of the, the power you have to leak different things to the media that comes from an official source that knows things nobody else knows. And, and of course, then just for a second, focus on the fact that during the last election for president, weeks before election day, a whole laundry list of people with top security clearances who worked for the deep state uh, and no longer did, but had worked for them, basically lied. They lied. That's what they did. They lied to the public, and not just a run-of-the-mill lie. They said that it was likely that the Hunter Biden laptop was story was Russian propaganda. They knew damn good and well that it wasn't. There was no, this wasn't an accident. There was no accident. This is straight out lying to the public with secret information to try to change the outcome of an election. The media ran with it because of course the media is completely corrupt. And then we have to, you know, I, I've been critical of the media for a long time because I love the media. I love the job. I love the news. I love the the current events, you know, that's my, that's my top subject. That's it's what I want to see on uh, Jeopardy. Uh, well, actually state capitals. And I ran, they had state governors the other day, ran the category, at least in my own home. Uh, and uh, so, so anyway, and I, I get on this tangent, I'll, I'll forget where I'm going. And I did forget where I'm going, actually. Well, I don't know where you were going, but I do know that uh, the deep state is a real problem and it's insulated from the American people and they control politicians and they blackmail politicians. I mean, that was one of the things that Whitney Webb came out with here this, uh, in her uh, recent, recent two volume uh, work. What's it called? It's called uh, One Nation Under Blackmail, Whitney Webb. Uh, and it's a very interesting set of books. I just started reading the first one. And her uh -oh. point is that blackmail has been a huge part of, of the deep state since the mafia was led into the government during World War II. And everything from there just sort of unfolds as they begin to use these very, very corrupt practices as normal practices. And, that, and, we get, and she's really leading up to the second book, which is about Jeffrey Epstein's the circle around Je Jeffrey Epstein. And the corruption. The guy who couldn't wait to commit suicide once he was in uh, federal control. Her, her book, books look uh, highly recommended. Uh, and she's interesting to watch on, on, you know, if you go to Rumble, you'll probably see a number of videos 
of, with her being interviewed. Uh, one really good interview uh, by um, Glenn Beck. So she's not just in, interviewed by leftists who, you know, 20 years ago, it would be on the left that you'd find the, the strongest uh, criticism of the deep state, you know, especially the CIA and its operations. Right. But, but now, well, you know, Whitney Webb is not even looked at as a leftist now. Uh, it's, it's an interesting, interesting change that's happened. Um, anyway, so you were, you were talking about uh, not about what is and is not sinister, which was January 4th. You were talking about the California, uh, the California thing. Connection. Yeah, that was that was Tuesday's piece. And just free speech in general. There was also a piece on Monday, uh, Concealed Carry and the Careful Criminal, which uh, which is about a study that came out finding that after Maine had loosened the requirements to get a concealed carry permit for a gun, uh, that crime went down. Now, everybody said crime would go up. There'll be guns all over the place, uh, whether their guns are all over the place or not. If the guns are held by average citizens, then I'm glad there are guns all over the place because the average citizen is not going to use his gun to shoot somebody in a crime. And anyway, this is what was interesting is in the comments, of course, you had folks who were making the case that, yes, this this is helpful and other folks who wanted to talk about something else, that guns are terrible and that America has this problem and so on. And and, you know, there's all kinds of different analysis and, and great stuff said in the in the comments there. If people go to uh, conceal carry and the careful criminal, this is commonsense.org. Uh, but it was it was interesting to me that this study, you know, you can you can argue, look, I don't I don't I don't care that this was there was this short, you know, or or, or during this short period of time after the law was passed, we see crime go down. We have to somehow get rid of all the guns. And it 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 harkens back to this this thing we, we have on gun control all the time that they're always pushing for a tiny thing but then acting like the tiny thing will be the outlawing of all guns. And I don't mean the outlawing of all guns to criminals. There'll be no guns anywhere. It'll be poof, they just went away. I mean, it's just the silliest stuff, but that's what the, the, the national news media feeds us this, this line every time. Every time they talk about more background checks, that will get rid of all the shootings. Um, it, it is always the smallest step forward, and let's pretend that that will completely wipe out all weapons of violence anywhere in the world. And in fact, there were some comments talking about the, uh, the fact that in places like the UK, where people don't have guns, they're making laws about knives because mm -hmm. they're trying to control that. And, and somehow I think uh, we're not going to put those technologies away for ever and ever and that we have to deal with human beings and how do we protect ourselves and and get mentally healthier as we go forward, not mentally more screwed up. Um, I like your last paragraph uh, in part because that, that's where you talk about the general view of things. And that's the general view is that if power is distributed widely in society and that means you know mao said the you know power comes from the barrel of a gun actually i think he's wrong about that authority certainly doesn't come from that but nevertheless there is power in having a gun and especially if it's concealed carry or the criminals the, the would-be criminals don't know who is armed and who isn't that makes it much riskier for them and that 
distributes power in society. And that's what a free society is all about. Empowerment. It's kind of funny that the word empowerment is never used in, in the gun, gun talk. Right. Because there's no more obvious case of empowerment than a people with guns. They're empowered. Yes. So we get to the wrong kind of speech, Friday's uh, commentary, and uh, uh, this is about uh, moving Oxnard forward, and that's in California, uh, and, and uh, Aaron Starr is one of the people, somebody I've known for, for decades, uh, is kind of the, the leader there, a number of activists who work through that group. And they've done a number of initiatives. In fact, this last November, one of the initiatives they did, which I didn't uh, mention, I should have mentioned it in the in the commentary. There's links to where you could go to see some of the things they've been doing. But uh, but they did a term limits initiative, and uh, and so he's he's uh, found a way to actually change the law, make a difference, uh, and I don't you know I I don't believe he is makes any money doing this. I have a feeling he's constantly writing checks and putting them in the uh, bank account. This isn't a well-heeled group, but they've gotten some help from a legal standpoint, which we'll get to, from the Institute for Free Speech. And the Institute for Free Speech, uh, Bradley Smith, uh, who's a, a law professor at Capital University in Columbus, Ohio, used to be on the Federal Election Commission. Uh, he's the chairman. Uh, brilliant guy, and uh, and uh, David Keating runs the operation, and uh, they're just uh, they are involved in so many great cases around the country, and thank goodness because free speech is constantly under attack, and um, and that's that, that's not new. What's new and scary is that these attacks are sometimes celebrated by major establishment voices like the media and academia, and so on and so on. So that's that's what's changed. The attacks on free speech have not changed. That's universal will always be there. And it's why we have to defend free speech and we have to defend people who we don't agree with it, with what they're saying, because if we can't defend them, if we wait and only defend it when we're defending the guy that we agree with most, by the time he says something, free speech will be gone. So anyway, the, the this group has been active going door to door. They hired a company that goes door to door. They uh, they have petition circulators, of course, and some of them are compensated. Well, we have talked, I don't know how many times, if you go and search AB5 uh, at thisiscommonsense.org, I think you're gonna find a bunch of scripts. This is a uh, several years old law, I think two, 2017, maybe even, uh, maybe even before then, but it's been challenged a number of times in court. This was an effort by politicians in the legislature, Democrats, that's who controls California, to try to give organized labor a leg up by making it to where everybody's got to become an employee. And it makes it almost impossible for you to be an independent contractor. Now, there are all kinds of people like petition circulators they're working on your petition. They may be working on somebody else's petition. They have functioned exactly as the law looks at an independent contractor. They're not a full-time employee of this organization. Now, one of the reasons that Democrats and unions like people to be employees, one, they like it because 
they the the state the government it's much easier for them to deal with one operation that's got a whole bunch of people who they have they got a they got an accounting department and here's what we've paid them all and they they know they're going to get their money they get worried when we have too much freedom because maybe we're not reporting everything and writing a big enough check to the IRS. That's the problem. That's the problem they've got. And it's why they don't like it if you're not working for some big operation. They would love the world to be filled by two or three companies doing everything with everybody working on an hourly basis that they can they can just be sucking the money out easy. And, and look, I'm not advocating for anybody to, you know, don't pay your taxes. Um, that's up to you. But uh, but it's very difficult to to not pay them, I found. And not that I've ever tried. I just have witnessed a lot of friends and uh, and acquaintances uh, who've tried. And uh, and it just it doesn't end well. But. Um, but, you know, this is this is something that the government doesn't like small business and they don't like independent contractors and they don't like small LLCs and they, you know, they don't, they, they want everything to be big. And, uh, and the other part of this is that if you're an employee, you're a lot more likely to be in a labor union. If you're an independent contractor, there's, there's no boss, there's no management to fight against. And so the unions are out of the picture. Now, this AB5 has been there uh, for years and people have fought against it and they've ruled different ways. There was a referendum that that uh, Uber and Lyft spent and, and DoorDash spent some serious money on uh, that passed pretty strongly, uh, getting them out of it to where they don't have to claim, you know, they don't have to basically make all these people employees. I've known a number of people who are independent contractors in California who have lost a ton of business because people can't, you know, they feel like, well, I can't keep hiring. I'm not going to hire you full time. You're doing something every couple of months, maybe that's, you know, it's just not a full time job. It wouldn't be minimum wage on an hourly basis. And, and of course, an independent contractor can be making a bunch of money doing that for a bunch of people. So it's and and, you know, you think, oh, well, we need to explain that to them. They don't care. Let me just tell you that they don't care. They want what they want. And if a few eggs have to get broken, a few people have to lose money and be poor, even though they love everybody getting richer, their policies always seem to not mind so much if people in real life get poorer because of them. So, uh, so this brings us to political operations like petitioning or like a door-to-door -door operation that you're not going door-to-door -door for the next 20 years, you're going door-to-door -door for, for four weeks maybe, or six weeks or two weeks before an election, you're supposed to hire everybody as a full-time employee and then let them all go two weeks later, that's independent contractor work. But while there have been a lot of carve-outs for well-connected politically or wealthy enough to run your own referendum folks, and so now you can go door-to-door -door selling vacuum cleaners or all kinds of things from a purely economic, and you can be an independent contractor. But if you go to that same door with a political petition or a flyer and want to have a discussion about, you know, Candidate Jones or the, the latest, you know, Prop 222 or whatever, 
you have to be made an employee. Now, this also benefits the unions because when the unions turn people out to do this, they're their employees. They're already their employees. And they just make them as part of their thing. You got to go and do this many hours and this many doors. And, you know, I don't know how successful they are at making everybody do everything, but they've had some success. So this is just custom made and designed to wreck the economy in a way that will be politically beneficial for unions and harmful to their political opponents. And thank God that moving Oxford forward uh, is fighting this fight and doesn't just, you know, a lot of times you get involved in something like this and, you know, you're trying to get something on the ballot. You're trying to do all these different things. You're not trying to take a case to the Supreme Court. That's a, that seems like a, a whole nother campaign and it costs money. The fact that Aaron Starr and that group is gutsy and isn't going to be pushed around. And that, to me, this is what, what gives me hope that America is still savable, is that there are so many of us out there that, you know what? No, I'm not going to just let you roll over me and take away my rights. No, I'm going to stand up and fight you. And there are all kinds of people I've found, and thank goodness, uh, who have that attitude. They have that attitude, and they're getting help from the Institute for Free Speech. And, um, you know, it, it, the Institute for Free Speech, they're, they're no better than the lawyers they can afford to hire and the cases they can afford to take. And uh, they're, they're great at making those decisions, but people should help them because I think they're a, a really critical group, uh, in my mind, on, on par with the Institute for Justice that has done so much good. But let me also say something to folks, uh, just because I think people forget sometimes. These both of these groups are essential in fighting back against horrible legal uh, regime that that is horribly enforced. But we cannot lawyer ourselves from an unfree country to a free country. If we can't get our representatives to change any of these laws, the Institute for Free Speech can't, can't fight every battle in the entire country. And these free speech violations are everywhere. We, we need to win these and be able to move on and change the law when it's, when it's wrong. Now, in the free speech area, that works a little bit better because it's, at least a lot of the decisions have, I think, kind of across the board changed the way uh, courts all over are dealing with them. But um, like uh, eminent domain and some of these other things that the Institute for Justice has had great success, there's, there's still, we're not rolling back these laws the way we should. I mean, they're, they're getting thrown out when they're trying to, you know, steal stuff from people when under, under and it's not just eminent domain. I was actually thinking of civil asset forfeiture, but eminent domain is along the same lines. These sorts of abuses, IJ has been great at, at, you know, running all over the country and stopping those abuses and winning again and again because they've got good attorneys and they know what they're doing. Uh, but you can't, you can't, they can't do it everywhere. 
And it's time that we roll back some of these laws and it's time that we build in the public a respect for free speech that is sadly been eroded. Uh, that's, that's an essential thing we've got to do as well. Well, that sounds like you went through the, uh, the, the pieces you wanted to talk about this week, just like that. Just like that. Thank you for joining us for this week of Common Sense for the first week of January 2023. Go to thisiscommonsense.org for five commentaries a week, plus many more features, and this podcast on the weekend. See you on Rumble. See you on YouTube, maybe. And we'll listen to each other on SoundCloud, eh? I wonder if that came through. I wonder if people can hear that. I heard the, I heard it. I um, couldn't do that until this last week for, for about a month. Arthritis was so bad it came on my left thumb that I it felt like it was broken. Now I've got my snap back.